And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Every single day, they were being saved, right? I mean, every single day, they were praising God. Every single day, they sold more of their belongings until they had no belongings left to sell. They gave everything to the needy. Every single day, their world was turned upside down, and they loved it. I mean, they absolutely loved it. They stopped going to work. They met together. Every single day, lives were being saved. Huh? Isn't that kind of crazy? So question number one, straight off the bat, our first recalibrate question inside your worship guide as well, just so you have this, because it's a really complicated question, one that we should ask ourselves, or maybe that you've answered many times, are you saved? Every single day, lives were being saved. Well, are you saved? I mean, it's a simple question, right? Tuesday night, again at the vision board, Mark Johnson, uh, and Mark and Diane are not here because Diane's cousin passed away and they went away this weekend to, to be uh, with the family there, but he had, was sharing with us on Tuesday night that uh, one of the responsibilities for the vision for the entire 2018 is that we need to reflect on the fact that God has called us to speak the truth, right? To seek the truth, to teach the truth, and to know the truth. And all of this, right, all of this is supposed to bring space so that we can say with confidence, I am saved, right? That's what we should be. Now, you're thinking, are you comfortable with that or uncomfortable saying that? You're thinking to yourself, are you settled with that or a little bit unsettled with that? Now, let me, let me ask you this. If you asked a child, like a, you know, know, a three-year-old, and you said to the child, does Jesus love you? And they answered as they were stopped playing with their you know, matchbox car. They looked up and said, yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me. And then you said, well, uh, and you followed up with that, you know, uh, do you love Jesus? And the child stopped playing with their car and said, yeah, I love Jesus. And then you said to them, well, did you know that Jesus saved you? Would they say, would the child say, well, yes, as long as uh, I say my prayers every night and I never sin again and I promise to follow him and return a faithful tithe and offering and I'm vegan. Is that what the child would say? Or would they say, yeah, mm, mm, mm. I mean, what would they do? Would they do a silly dance? Would they like, yeah, would they be happy about that? I mean, do you remember these words? I don't know if you remember these words, these words that Jesus had shared at some point. And I mean, they're, they're just kind of like funny words that Jesus mentioned just in passing, right? Where he suggested that in order to enter the kingdom, he said you had to be like uh, little children. Hmm? Remember that? Actually, it's a really funny story if you read the whole story, as the disciples were all about themselves, which we are never. I know, I know, we're never about ourselves. We're never about me, we're all about, about 
everybody else, right? But they're all arguing at this time. They're arguing about who gets to be the boss all the time. And there's this great passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull it out in the Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. And I'm, I'm going to ask you just to, to turn with me to this text because it's a good story. It's a funny story. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6, page 913 in the Pew Bibles, 913. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. And, uh, and this passage, basically, what, what they're arguing about is they, they, they want to know who's the greatest, obviously, because that's very important. When, you, when the kingdom comes into action, this is what is really important. Who's going to be the greatest? Who gets to drive in the passenger side, or who gets to drive the car? This is what's most important. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. I love how Jesus does this. He pulls the child to himself. And he put him in the midst of them, right in the middle, and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be cut, have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow, that's a pretty uh, drastic Italian, Sicilian, you know, mafia approach to life, isn't it, Jesus? I mean, he was all like, look at the little child, treat them really well, do anything to them and I'll bury you. I mean, like, I mean, it's kind of psychotic from like happy thoughts to like deep in the sea, you know? I mean, it's just like, it's just tense. And why does Jesus do this? Because he says, what you should do is you should have a heart that is pure like a child. And actually, we, as a church, we should protect everybody like they are children. And if you don't protect them, then I'm going to be very, very unhappy with you. Because everybody needs to be safe. Everybody needs to be safe. And we need to protect everybody. And we need to have space for everybody to breathe again. And we need to be able to do this because it's really important. Everybody needs to be able to do this. So how do you let someone grow safely? right? How do you let somebody grow safely? Because we want to be able to do this. And I recognize there are people who come to church here uh, today, right, who, who are like, well, this is the first time I'm coming to church. And I, I, I just don't know if I really want to be confronted or, or, you know, harassed. Or I had somebody say to me, I asked them, you know, would they consider coming to church? And they said, well, why would I want to go to church? I mean, you, you go to church and they just, they just, they just tell you off. Don't they? I mean, and those preachers, and I was like, I, I, I'm talking to you now. Um, it's not like I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> and, and the person said, yeah, because preachers, they just tell you off, and I, I don't want to go to church to be told off. I want to go to church and just be happy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, imagine we have a little baby, and we say, hey, little baby, in the cot. Uh, I'm going to grow you up to be safe. And what we're going to do is, uh, just a little baby, I'm just going to let you know over there in the corner are your nappies, your diapers, and uh, some wet wipes, a bit of food supply. Good luck. Uh, you know, just enjoy yourself. And at some point, you're going to have to get a job, get some income, because I don't think it's going to last long, but you are safe to go. And you peace out, because that's how we, we should do it. Because I don't want to, like, confront you about, uh, you know, 
I mean, you're crying now, and I think it's unreasonable. No, no, no. We do everything. And there are parents, by the way, you, you'll know this, some of these parents, that their entire life revolves around the child, right? There are other parents where the child actually revolves around the parents' lives. And there are different ways that people parent, right? So some parents, they actually change their entire life. So if the baby is like, well, I decided 3 o'clock in the morning is the time that I wake up, then the parents decided that that's when they should all wake up as well. And now they eat breakfast at 3 o'clock in the morning every day. And, uh, and they brush their teeth and everything has happened. And then in the middle of the day, they're, they're calling their work and saying, well, my, my child decided that 3 o'clock was the right time that I should be working. And so that's what I do. I'm like, who is in control? The baby who doesn't speak <laughs> or the parents? Well, you would hope the parents are going to be the ones who are going to be saying, I'm going to teach you how to join the world. Right? I'm going to help you to grow some kind of disciplines inside here. But it's very difficult. I mean, even Rudyard Kipling in The Jungle Book, even with Mowgli, right, in the made-up story there, he needed Baloo the bear, right? Everybody needs something to be able to do this. So growing safely, growing safely requires providing some resources and some challenges. What? Yep. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Imagine, imagine if you came to church every week and there was no appeal, you would be disappointed. I know you would. You'd be like, what? I listened to that. I went to the whole service, and there was no call to action. What was that about? I mean, no appeal. Imagine if you came to church every week and there was no challenge. You would be gutted. I know you would. You would actually go see a counselor and therapist afterwards and say, this week, there was no challenge and you pay hundreds of dollars to process why there was no challenge. I'm saving you money. I'm giving you a challenge every week. I'm giving you an appeal every week. Imagine if you came to church every week. I'll just stop there. I mean, just, I mean, just a radical idea. I mean, we recognize, right, that growth takes place at different places and different paces, and we create this safe space. But it doesn't mean that it has to be void of challenges, right? Yes, we are saved, and we accept the gift from Jesus. But this gift, it banishes the past and it beckons the future for hope. That's what the gift of salvation does, right? It banishes the past and it beckons the future for hope. And that gift calls us to a new way of life. And that's what Acts chapter 2, verse 42 was actually all about. They devoted themselves, right? This is the, the passage that Doris was reading for us right at the beginning in the spoken word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I mean, that's pretty darn amazing. The four ways to be. That's what they did. The four ways to be. These elements just don't happen, though, because someone wrote them down on a value statement and said, hey, I think we should, uh, I think we should now do teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread, and because I wrote it down on a piece of paper, everybody now will do this. They didn't happen because they're on a website. They didn't happen because somebody had it tattooed, right? It happened because something changed inside them, because something happened when they responded. So, brings us to our question number two. Question number two today. What brought Acts 2.42 around, and do we believe? What brought Acts 2.42 around, and do we believe? And here's an interesting question, uh, one that I wrestled through this week and, and thought about this for a while, and maybe you have as well. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, 
why Jesus did not tag team when he came to earth. I mean, really tag team. Jesus could have said to the Father, he said, I think, and he did, he said, I think I should be the one to go to earth, and I'm going to restore our name, the Trinity, right? And I'm going to start to draw this story towards the end. But then Jesus could have easily, in the same conversation, without even losing his breath, all right? He could have said, hey, Holy Spirit, want to be my wingman, right? Let's, let's, let's go together, right? Let's go together. You unleash your full power together, right? Not just like you've been doing through the entire First Testament on prophets, inspiring people, talking at this particular moments, anointing, all this kind of stuff. No, unleash your full power, I mean, together. Let's, let's just do that. Why? Why did he do that? No, no, Jesus decided not to do that. I mean, Jesus chose instead 12 desperados, which I refer to often as the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I know, I know. It's actually the soundtrack of uh, my ringtone on my phone. Um, I know, it's because it reminds me of the disciples. <laughs> and other things as well. Um, but anyway, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what it is, it is, it's true. Jesus, in fact, when he spoke of these things, he would, he would say amazing things. And it was just, he said, look, I want to let you know that, that you will do amazing things, right? And he said this to the disciples, but when you finish, this will just be the beginning. When he was talking to John the Baptist, he said, John the Baptist, you're my cousin, you're doing amazing things, but you're just the beginning. So the disciples of John the Baptist, when he was in prison, they came to him, to Jesus, and said, listen, Jesus, John, he's in prison and he's depressed, and I just don't know, are you the one? Are you the one that we were supposed to follow? And Jesus says, look, let me explain the obituary for John. And he does this by explaining this in the Bible. And you should read this. I mean, it's just one little verse. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. So it's not hard to find page 905, one verse. Again, it's a, bless you, uh, she sneezed. Uh, if you didn't hear, you should have said bless you too. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, uh, page 905. This is a great verse. This is one of those verses that you should mark in your Bible, highlight in your Bible. You should actually ask yourself, am I, am I following this? Is this speaking to me? Because it is about you, right? This is what happens. The disciples come to Jesus. They say to him, are you really the one? Jesus starts doing an obituary about John the Baptist. And then he says these words about John the Baptist. He says, truly, verse 11, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And they're like, yeah, of course, John the Baptist, nobody's been greater than him. And then he says, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Huh? The one that's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And I'm like, he's talking about us. We are least in the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying, we're supposed to do something greater than John the Baptist? Well, what is that thing that John the Baptist did? What did he actually do? Well, when you get to Acts chapter 2 and the Spirit descends, the results are that they just preached the word. That's what they did. They preached the word. That's all they did. It wasn't anything else. I know some of you are hoping, well, when the Spirit comes down, we start to do miracles and healings, and, and we started to speak in really weird sounds and all sorts of stuff. In Acts chapter 2, they did preach the word. 
That's all they did. Now, they did have uh, the great translation. I mean, before Google Translate, before Google Translate, they had the Holy Spirit, right? This is what happened. It was just instant. And that's what was the miracle that took place with the Holy Spirit inside there. But now when Peter stands up and he preaches the word, he preached Jesus. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit lifts up Jesus. That's all that John the Baptist did. John the Baptist got up and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. I have come to prepare the way. And the Spirit descended upon John the Baptist. And John the Baptist went out and prepared the way. And when Peter comes along, Peter understands when he receives the gifts of the Spirit. He says, well, what has the Spirit done for us? He's told us to tell everybody about this. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2 so we understand what's taking place right before there. Acts chapter 2, page 1008. Acts chapter 2, the verses just preceding the text that Doris has read for us. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 38. As a result of this, when they'd heard the words that Peter had actually preached to them, when he had lifted up Jesus to them, because he explained who Jesus was, how he would be lifted up, how the Spirit had said all this to them, this is what happens. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And don't forget that phrase. We will come back to that in a few weeks' time. And he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. You will receive it. Peter knew exactly what was taking place in this moment. They were not drunk. Everyone accused them of this. They knew it. He quoted Joel, the outpouring of the Spirit. He knew exactly what's happened. His Bible was the First Testament. And he was quoting Ezekiel to them. He was quoting Isaiah. He was quoting Joel to them. And he, I mean, he understood what the prophets were saying. From the old days, he understood what the prophets had always been saying, that when the Spirit would come, something would happen to your hearts where you would talk differently about God. And so there is this great passage. And again, it's one of these things where I've got to, I'm doing all these passages today because I hope that you will you'll treasure these passages that you connect these dots, because these passages, I mean, these, these are just magic moments inside here. But Jeremiah chapter 31, page 736. And I want you to see this passage as well, because it's just so beautiful uh, what the prophet Jeremiah is trying to say here. Years ahead inside it, Jeremiah chapter 3131. So if you forget it, it's 3131. It's very hard to remember, Jeremiah 3131. You're like, he said chapter 31, what verse? 31, that's it, 31, 31. Jeremiah 31, 31, not hard to remember. 31, 31, if I just repeat it a few more times, you'll remember it. What book? Chapter? Verse? There you go, you got it, see? Now, even your gray cells that are all deteriorated and gone, remember that. You can go back to your kids and say, I got a memory verse today, Jeremiah 31, 31, but you don't know the words, do you? I know, it's just, you just got the verse, I know, but... When you read it, you're going to think to yourself, oh my goodness, this is brilliant. So this is what Jeremiah says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. 
I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will remember their iniquity, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The gospel, the gospel in the First Testament, loud and clear, as he says very clearly, that I am going to take this law that they understood, that they broke so many times. I'm going to place this law right into their hearts. It's going to come. The Spirit will descend. It will be living inside them. And when they do this, Ezekiel 36 says the same thing, the Spirit will be inside them, and it will be easy to love. It will be easy to give. It will be easy to be in community. Because believe me, it is hard to be in community It is hard to love. It is hard to give when you do it by yourself. When you just decide, this is what I'm going to do, you're not going to be able to do it. But when it's motivated, when it's driven by the Spirit living inside your life, it's a different moment, right? When you are doused with God, when you're drenched with His Spirit, when you're connected to Him, when you're reading His passages, and you understand everything that God is doing in your life, you're like, I want to respond. I want to do this kind of thing. Question number three, and this is a hard question, and, and what I'm about to say to you, I, I know that uh, it's very easy to, to take one of these sentences. Um, so I have the full manuscript here, uh, if anybody needs the full manuscript, so that you, you, don't, you don't just cut and paste one sentence and get me into trouble, right? But you've got to listen to everything I say for the, the whole context, all right? Um, but, but one sentence out of context is, is messy, all right? So what I'm going to ask you is a, is a, is a hard question. And what I'm going to challenge you to think about uh, is the implications and consequences of this. Question number three. Have we retained the DNA of Jesus for our church, right? The DNA of Jesus for our church. When you're going to hire someone, uh, what are you looking for? Uh, when, uh, when you look at their resume or CV, you may realize that that's not enough or their references may not be enough. And so it's hard when you're going to hire someone, right? When you're going to marry someone, um, what are you looking for? Are you, are you looking at their parents? Are you looking at their, their past relationships? I mean, it's just difficult to kind of like fathom exactly what it is and how do you know for sure that this is the right person that you should marry. When you're going to choose a hospital, I mean, what are you looking for? The ratings by some unknown agency? Uh, so-and-so says this hospital is five stars out of, I mean, I don't know what that agency is. I mean, do you rely on a friend that actually went to that hospital or some medical professional inside there? When you're going to go buy a car, that's easy, right? You just go stand outside there and you kick the tires. And you're like, yeah, that's a good car. I don't know why people do that, but they kick the tires. Eh, it's a good car. I mean, it's like, it's like when you, you, you're choosing fruits, you know, a watermelon. Uh, you, you, you flick it. And I see people flick a watermelon, and they're like, yeah, I did the flick test. It's a, it's, it's a watermelon. Good. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's supposed to tell you something. Like, you flick it, and like, I flicked it. It's still flicked. It's a, it's a watermelon. So people do these things, right? And it's supposed to be profound moments inside there. We're supposed to be able to find ourselves. But it has come down to the fact that this, that we need to work out the DNA in order to know something is good to be trusted. So what started it or created 
that candidate, the life partner, the hospital, the car brand, all of that, what started or created it, is very important. And if you can get to the roots of it, you understand it. So the story behind it carries weight. So when you pick a church, right, and you choose a tribe like Adventism, uh, the story behind it matters, right? The DNA matters. If the roots are rotten, no amount of pruning is going to change that bad fruit, right? That tree is still going to produce fruit that's going to make you have, like, stomach aches and you're going to throw up. You, if, you, if the tree has, like, really bad roots and it's just like the DNA is wrong, you can just dress it up whatever you want. You can create good websites, you can create great media publications, you can do whatever you want. The tree has the bad DNA. The DNA has to be addressed. You have to look at the roots, and you have to address that kind of stuff. So, here's the questions. Is our church here in Boulder faithful to Adventism or the Bible? Oh, uh, that's not fair, Pastor. Because watch out how you answer this now. Because what it could sound like is that you're saying that Adventism and the Bible are the same, right? If I ask that question, right? Is the church faithful to Adventism or to the Bible? Is our church here in Boulder faithful to Rocky Mountain Conference, which happens to be RMC, which happens to be our head office, or the Bible? Right? Uh, am I, as employee, faithful to Rocky Mountain Conference, legally, contractually, or to the Bible? Um, I actually got asked this question when I was hired, not here, my very first job in the British Union Conference in England uh, by the, the committee, where they, they literally said, do you work for us or do you work for God? And I was like, this is a trick question. I was like 19, 20 or something, and I was like, that's a trick question. I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, how do I answer this? Because if I say I work for God, they're gonna say, psycho! He thinks he's just got a direct line and he's gonna do whatever he wants. If I say I work for them, he's gonna say, he doesn't believe in God. He knows he should be working for God and we're just here as vessels. How do I answer? I don't know what they want. I'll tell you another time what I said. I know, I know, you'll have to come back to church. <laughs> These are difficult questions, right? Adventism and the Bible are the same. So are the questions fair? Are we comparing like for like? And let's be honest, all right? Has Adventism or the Rocky Mountain Conference ever asked the question of us? No, they have not. Uh, because truth is that Adventism and Rocky Mountain Conference are both trying to follow the Bible, all right? They're both seeking after the Bible. So, is our DNA Adventism? Is it? I would say no. Our DNA is not Adventism. Our DNA is the Spirit of God in the Bible. And our clothes are Adventism. Do you understand? Right? So, we are created as a human being. Can you imagine the metaphor? It's a metaphor, by the way. <laughs> uh, we are created and called by God, by the Spirit of God in the Bible. That's what birthed the church. And the church's clothing, the church's clothing is Adventism. That's what it is. And I love 
Adventism because in the winter, when it's hard, it's rough, we get warm, right? When it's cool in the summer, when things get hard, the clothing actually helps. Adventism wants nothing more than to point us back to the Bible. For in those pages, you have the full expression of who God is. And if you understand who God is, you understand your relationship, you understand what you were called to be. And this is what John the Baptist did under the power of the Spirit. Was John the Baptist going around saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, so you may all become Jews. He was saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, so you may follow God. When Jesus came along, and I'm going to talk about this in a few weeks' time, and when you look in the Daily Walk, you'll see this. When the church decided to name themselves, at the beginning they were called the Life, then they were called the Way. It was only way down in Acts that they actually came up with a name, and they called themselves Christians. They were not that way. When Adventism started, we didn't even want a name. We just said, we love God. He's coming back. Let's study the Bible. <laughs> Eventually, we have to get organized. Eventually, we have to do something. And this is what happens right now in Acts chapter 2, right at the beginning. We're just doused with the Spirit. And when we're doused with the Spirit, all we want to do is talk about Jesus Christ to everybody. We give up everything. We live together. We live in community. And this is what we're called to. When we preach... There is change. When we see Jesus, there is change. And we see these four beautiful results taking place. The four ways to be. Now, I read these in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I wrote these down, and I decided that what they are is communication, community, communion, and connection. These are what the four ways are. Communication through the Word, and we do this. Communication through the Word, which is worship and our connect groups that take place throughout the worship here and the daily walk. This is what we do all the time. This is what the early church did. Community in the Word. And we do this by building community through our baby showers that I encourage you to go and our community collectors that are taking place. Communion by the Word, through our Lord's Supper, by the breaking of bread in the life groups that we do, where we connect together and we actually eat food together and you connect with each other. And the connection from the Word, which is through the prayer, where you pray with each other for one another with God and you ask God to connect you with each other as well. Every Friday morning, I meet with uh, someone for a Bible study at a coffee shop in Niwot around 6 a.m. And the barista, Robert, there, he knows that I love a cortado. Um, this is, by the way, uh, the perfect coffee. Um, it's the same amount of uh, warm, non-frothy milk uh, with espresso, and so it's very smooth. It's the perfect blend. And, uh, and so this particular Bible study, it's, uh, it's one of those, you know the Duplo Technica sheet that I gave all of you? So, if you want to actually study the Bible, I have like seven different options for you. You can take one of those sheets, look at it. One of those options was called the Reset. And the Reset is where you take the book Steps to Christ and the Bible. So this particular one is the perfect blend, those two together. Take the Steps to Christ and the Bible. And as you read through Steps to Christ, you stop every time you find the passage of Scripture, and you look at that passage of Scripture, and you say, what's the context inside there? What was that passage really talking about, and how does it feed into that section inside Steps of Christ? It's a beautiful, beautiful process to go through. So it was yesterday morning, and the Spirit was talking to me as well inside that moment. And I, it's just beautiful inside there. The clarity in that moment, when I think all that Jesus has done in my own life, and all that Jesus has caused in my own life, and he calls me to, and I said to myself as well, and I said to the person I was studying with, I believe too. <laughs> This is what it is. It calls me to something far greater. It calls me to an action, something to change in my life. Because if you hear the voice of Jesus, you are called to change. Not because you wake up in the morning, you decide you're going to change. You are called to change. There was a text that uh, was inside there. It was Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. I'm just going to read it to you. 
it says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And I love this. If you live by the Spirit, you've got to keep in step with the Spirit, which is so much about being in sync with the Spirit, which is the Hebrew thinking, right? You've got to be in sync with it. And I just, I feel like I'd like to be in sync with God. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to be in sync with God? Wouldn't you like to feel like your heart beats with God? You don't feel like you're off here and God's off here, but you're just like, you're all together inside there. And sometimes I feel like we are often over here and God is over here and we do this and that and I feel like we actually need to be more together with that. God is with us through the good times and the bad times and he says, I just want to be in sync with you. I don't want to actually just do the whole walk beside you. I want to be like with you on everything. The song we're about to sing, Everlasting, uh, Everlasting God, was written by Brenton Brown. And Brenton Brown uh, wrote the song uh, when he was uh, in his early 20s. Um, this is a pretty powerful song because um, he had just finished working at uh, Oxford University, finishing his studies there, and then became a worship pastor. Um, and uh, then he got a cold um, and uh, was sick, and the cold turned into flu. And uh, he says that after six months, he just couldn't shake this flu. And uh, then he realized that actually what he had was the chronic uh, fatigue syndrome. And in his 20s, it just, it just like it just hit him. Yeah, actually, his girlfriend ended up having chronic fatigue syndrome as well at the same time. And uh, he talked to his bosses, and they discussed all this kind of stuff. And uh, in the end, they agreed that uh, he should leave England and uh, he should head back home. And he went back to South Africa. And he said that uh, while he was in South Africa, he came across this text. And he came across this text in Isaiah. And if you have your Bibles, this is the last text this morning that I want you to turn with me to. Isaiah chapter 40. Um, it's page 669, Isaiah chapter 40. And I think that uh, the reason I want you to turn to this passage is because uh, there, are, there are passages in Scripture that I think that just speak to our lives. And again, I think this is one of those that I hope that you will treasure with me, that you will actually also agree that uh, not only speaks to your life, but also speaks to the understanding that God has called us to, right? That God wants us to do something amazing. And, uh, and with that... I think you'll understand what Brenton went through. You'll understand when you sing this song that God is calling us to something beautiful. So Isaiah chapter 40. Brenton said, uh, I came across this passage. I had no energy. I had no strength. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I came across this passage. And this is what it says. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Do you hear that? Stand with me. Stand with me. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth, this spoke to him, he's 20 years old. He says, even to the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not be faint. And these words are the words that we sing right now.
going to ask you to do something that you've never done before. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to give you the prayer. I'm going to give you the words that are going to come up on the screen right now. It's a very simple sentence. You're going to just turn to the person next to you. You're going to say this sentence. You're going to say this sentence for your own life. You're going to say this sentence to the person next to you. You're going to say these words. Jesus built a wall of fire behind me. All right? That's what you're going to do. Just turn to the person next to you and just say, Jesus, build a wall of fire behind me. Next thing you're going to say is this, Jesus, part the river in front of me. Jesus, part the river in front of me. And the last one is this, Jesus, give me the faith to go on through. Heavenly Father, you are the one who lifts us up. You are the one who carries us through the good times and the bad times. You're the one who gives us strength when we are tired and we are broken. You're the one who gives us joy. You're the one who gives us the courage to grow our children. You're the one, Lord, who gives us the quietness to the dark times. Lord, you're the one who will take us through the glorious moments. Lord, we thank you for your everlasting strength. And Lord, may you have the courage in our lives to live through us, that we may love, that we may be all that you've called us to. In Jesus' most beautiful and precious name, amen.